What a sign it is creaking. We see your lost soul with our wandering eye. There's only one light on, and the darkness is creeping. There's only one light, and the chill in the air. We promise you stories for one night only. Come closer toward us, lend us your ear if you Hello, friend. Come in. Take a look around. When you're finished browsing, why not come warm yourself by the fire? We promise we won't bite. We might even tell you a story. Or two. Maybe offer you a donut? Or two. This week, I've made some gorgeous apple cider donuts. A little bit boozy, very lovely. Now, where were we? Ah, oh, yes. The lighthouse was empty, or so it seemed from where Joseph Moore stood on the swaying deck of the Hesperus, shivering with the cold. It was the 26th of December, and though the sky was clear, a northern chill had rolled in, seeping into his bones. In silence, he looked across at Captain Harvey, the Hesperus's master, and nodded. Once again, a rocket was fired into the air to explode above them with a loud bang. Anyone inside the lighthouse, or anywhere on the island for that matter, would hear it and know it meant only one thing, the approach of a ship. True, they were running late, but the keepers currently on the island were expecting the relief ship and the arrival of Moore, who was there to start his shift. As one of four lighthousemen, Moore knew how annoying it was when the relief ship turned up late, but due to stormy conditions it couldn't be helped. He hoped they would understand. After all, they were destined to spend the next few months in very close quarters. In the back of his mind, Moore remembered the disturbing report that a steamer, the Acton, had nearly run aground after veering too close to the rocks just a few days prior. It had claimed that no light had been seen beaming from the lighthouse to guide them safely around the Seven Hunters, so named because the rocks and small islands that made up St. Flannan's Isles jutted out of the water so sharply that many a passing ship had met a sticky end, disemboweled on this treacherous outcrop. As a lighthouse keeper, it was Moore's job to ensure that the paraffin lamp burned brightly so all vessels could safely pass around the Isle of Eileen Moore and her razor-sharp sisters. At any one time, there were three keepers tending the lighthouse, with the fourth on two weeks of leave. The idea that something could have happened to keep all of the current keepers from tending to the beacon sat bitterly in Moore's stomach. Their job was important, 
It was, after all, the whole reason they were out in the middle of the ocean, miles from anywhere, trapped on this tiny crag. James Ducat, the principal keeper, a seasoned lighthouseman, and Thomas Marshall, the second assistant, was just as capable. Donald MacArthur, an occasional keeper who was standing in for the first assistant who was on sick leave, also had years of experience. And above all, the men knew that no matter what else was happening, there had to be someone to light the lamp. But on such a tiny island, what could possibly have garnered their attention so thoroughly? Still, Moore and Captain Harvey waited for any signs of life, and the island of Eileen Moore sat before them, silent and still. Moore had felt a jolt of unease, even before the Hesperus had weighed anchor. On a day such as this, the lighthouse keepers should have seen the ship coming a mile off and raised the flag to signal so. He supposed it was possible that since they were both expected and running late, perhaps James Ducat had decided not to bother, though Moore would surely have to bring him up on this at a later date. It was agreed that Moore would be lowered in a boat to search the island and see what had so thoroughly distracted his colleagues. Once he reached the shore, he docked the small raft and made his way along the winding path and up the grassy slopes. At only 43 acres, the island took no more than half an hour to traverse from one end to another. On his way, he passed the stout form of St. Plan's Chapel, a squat stone structure that had been on the island for hundreds of years, a relic of time when it had been inhabited by monks, worshippers of the Irish saint, St. Flan. Finally arriving at the lighthouse itself, Moore stopped to catch his breath. In his effort to find out what was going on, he had raced his way there, battered by wind and sea spray. The outside gate was closed, as was the main door, not unusual if the men aimed to keep out the cold. But once inside, Moore found no relief from the wintry chill. The lighthouse was cold and dark. The fire had obviously not been lit for several days. The clocks, also untouched, had wound themselves down and stopped. The kitchen was clean and tidy, as were the bedrooms. On inspection, even the lamp was in order, just waiting to be lit. So why hadn't it been? What had happened that there was no sign of anything out of the ordinary, and yet the other keepers were nowhere to be found? On his trek across the island, Moore had seen no one and assumed they would all be here, sheltering inside from the weather. He had begun thinking that perhaps there had been a problem with the lamp and the stormy weather had interfered with them getting a message out. But now it was obvious that something else was going on and Moore had to get to the bottom of it. Making his way back outside, he knew that the only other places the men could possibly be were the eastern and western landings. Starting down the hill the lighthouse presided on, 
Moore could see before he even made it to the eastern landing that no one was there. On further inspection, he found everything in perfect order and no signs of any of the on-duty lighthouse keepers. The western landing was a different story. Still, there was not a keeper to be seen, but certainly something had happened here. Although the crane was still attached in position, Moore could see that the box of mooring rope that was usually heavily secured had been swept away. The landing was a mess. To get down to the landing proper, Moore had to make his way around a large chunk of rock that had come loose from the cliff above and smashed down onto the platform. As Moore looked around, he spotted something that made his heart stutter in his chest. A life buoy was missing from where it was usually tied to its post. Was it possible that one or more of the men had fallen into the water and the boy thrown in an attempt at rescue? On closer inspection, the truth was worse. The boy had been torn from the post, not untied. The rest of his inspection of the western landing showed that the railings had been warped and were broken in several places. All of this spoke to Moore not only of a terrible tragedy, but of a storm so bad and a wave so high it had ripped a boy from its post 110 feet above sea level. It was with a sinking feeling that Moore realised this was where his missing colleagues must have met their ends. On the 26th of December 1900, Joseph Moore, Captain Harvey and the crew of the Hesperus set sail from Lewis, an isle off the northwest coast of Scotland in the Outer Hebrides, for Eileen Moor, an island situated in the Flannan Isles. Apart from the island of St Kilda, which is no longer inhabited, the Flannan Isles are pretty much the last stop between the UK and the shores of North America, some 2,000 miles away. It was here that a terrible tragedy occurred, which like most morbid historical events, have gone on to inspire films, operas and poetry. People become obsessed, it seems, with the unexplained. Whether it's Jack the Ripper or the strange sightings of the beast of Bodmin Moor, we are obsessed with the things we can't explain. Who put Bella in the witch elm has become a question that has vexed the nation for over 80 years. But nearly 40 years before, the mystery of what happened to the Eileen Moore lighthouse keepers has stumped generations. It's one thing to be left a body with no ID. It's a whole other thing to discover that three fully grown men simply vanished off the face of the earth. One of the strangest aspects of this particular mystery is the entries made in the lighthouse's logbook, the last of which was entered on the 15th of December ten days before the relief crew ever arrived. All entries after the 12th of December have been attributed to Thomas Marshall, the third assistant and youngest of the group at only 28 years old. In the log, he notes 
that the sea was lashed to fury, that the principal keeper, Ducat, was quiet, and the occasional keeper, MacArthur, was crying. A day later, on the 13th, Ducat was still quiet, MacArthur was praying, and the storm was raging through the night, resulting in both Ducat and Marshall falling into prayer alongside MacArthur. There is no entry for the 14th, so we assume that nothing had changed, but by the 15th, the entry is short and cryptic. Storm ended. Sea calm. God is over all. In a way, this explains some parts of the mystery. If the wind came in from the northwest, as Marshall said, then that would explain the devastation of the western landing, but not necessarily the absence of the keepers. Now, there had been stormy weather since, but at least until the 14th, the shine of the lighthouse had been visible all the way from Lewis. Surely stormy conditions as bad as those described by Marshall would have obscured the lamp. Also odd is that the log entries stop on the day where the weather cleared up, which in accordance with how long it takes for clocks to wind down and stop, it's about how long the men had to have been missing for. There is reason to believe, however, that Thomas Marshall's input into the keeper's log may have been fabricated. Not only was Thomas the least senior in terms of rank, and therefore not really the most appropriate choice to keep log, but there are discrepancies in the times when the logs were written. Plus, most lighthouse logs were contributed to by all of the keepers present. There's also the dramatic way in which the entries are worded. These books were kept simply for the keepers to note down what would seem to anyone else very boring information. Dates, times, weather conditions, all recorded succinctly for the Northern Lighthouse Board to read. It's unlikely for a lighthouse's log to be filled with personal comments and riddles. From here, we can either deduce that these final entries were a hoax created to extort the tragedy of the missing men, or, if they are real, that they are evidence of whatever strangeness was happening on Eileen Moore in December of 1900. In a telegram sent to the Northern Lighthouse Board from Captain Harvey of the Hesperus, he begins, A dreadful accident has happened at Flannan's, and goes on to convey a story which, to this day, is still the same. No bodies have ever been recovered floating or washed up on either of the landings. Any answers we might wish for have been lost to the depths, along with the corpses, of Ducat, MacArthur, and Marshall. After his initial search of the island, three men from the Hesperus agreed to stay on with Joseph Moore until replacement keepers could be sent out in order to keep the beacon running. It's said that over those three days, he heard voices whispering the names of the dead men carried on the wind. Whether it's true or not, you can certainly imagine how such a tragic and unexpected turn of events 
might shake someone, especially when left on a tiny rock on the edge of the world. It's interesting to note the Flannan Islands archipelago actually makes up the highest crags on an underwater mountain. On the northwest side that faces out into open ocean, that side of the mountain drops away into sheer cliff until it meets the seabed. As if the idea of being a pinprick alone in a huge ocean wasn't jarring enough, the Isle of Eileen Moor also exists on a precipice, falling away into nothingness on one side. And wouldn't this isolation be enough to play on our fears and, after long enough, drive anyone crazy? There are those who believe that the missing men did not fall victim to the whims of Mother Nature, but succumbed to more man-made terrors. It is possible that one of the men killed the other two, disposed of the bodies, and then took his own life. It could stand to reason that MacArthur is only an occasional lighthouse keeper, and not a true part of the group of four who live secluded together for months on end, might have snapped. If it's true about his strange behaviour in the logs, then could this count as evidence towards instability? While this may be the Hollywood approach, there was no evidence found of any blood or anything that might have been used as a weapon. It might make for a better story, but this idea also falls into the category of demonising mental illness for the sake of conflict, a trope which has gone on for far too long. It's unlikely MacArthur was experiencing a full breakdown as opposed to simply responding in a reasonable human way to a high-stress situation, i.e. the raging storm, whilst feeling the depression and isolation of his position. Some of the more interesting and far-fetched theories range from the men having been snatched by giant seabirds to having been themselves turned into giant seabirds by the little people who supposedly inhabit the island. It is interesting considering the Icelandic Huldafolk, or hidden people, and the vicinity of the country to the Flannan Isles, that there is a belief in a race that is small of stature and somehow sacred to the island. There are also accounts to indicate Flannan Islands held some kind of sacred status among the locals of Lewis, even before the monks built St. Flan's Chapel. As ever, there are those who believe the unfortunate lighthouse keepers to have been abducted by aliens. But we challenge you to find a mystery where there isn't someone who claims that aliens are somehow involved, especially in a country which claims to have the Bermuda Triangle of UFO sightings. Here is where we swing back around to the idea of a gigantic wave washing all three men out to sea. A 110 foot wave, roughly 10 stories high, is difficult for most of us to imagine. And I think that seeing a wall of water towering above the tiny island of Eileen Moor must have been terrifying. There is still little evidence to say why all three men left the lighthouse that night, with one in such a rush, 
after he left his warm coat behind. Odder still is that most experienced lighthousemen, which all of them were, knew how important it was to keep sailors and their ships safe. It doesn't make sense that not one of them thought to stay and tend the lamp. Not to mention, as we've already said, that had they simply stayed in the lighthouse and hunkered down as they had been doing in the days before, they would have remained safe from the storm. To some, a giant wave forming off of such a tiny island seems as implausible as aliens. We've proved since these disappearances that waves like these can form in the open ocean. And if this is the case, then for the lighthouse keepers of Eileen Moore, it may simply have been a case of wrong place, wrong time. Like many mysteries which captivate the collective imagination, the disappearances at Eileen Moore have inspired their fair share of pop culture reenactments. The latest of these is a film released in 2018, starring Gerard Butler, entitled The Vanishing. Strangely, they swapped MacArthur out for Marshall as the youngest member of the team, and what ensues is a treasure fueled action film as the men try to fight off outsiders and keep the gold they found for themselves. Whatever you think of the other possible theories we've mentioned, we think it's fair to say this version of events is highly unlikely. Possibly even more bizarre is the 1977 episode of Doctor Who named The Horror of Fang Rock. During the episode, Tom Baker's Time Lord attempts to save the lighthouse keepers from an alien which has landed on the island and is sucking the energy used to light the lamp. Featuring body snatching and shipwrecks, as per usual for Britain's favourite alien, it only gets stranger from there. Nowadays, thanks to technology, people are no longer forced to spend their time in isolation on windswept crags out in the open ocean, miles from anywhere and anyone. The Eileen Moore Lighthouse itself has been automatic since 1971. It's hard to imagine a job that separates you so thoroughly from the rest of society, except perhaps that of being an astronaut circling the Earth with the same small group of people for years on end. Those who manned Britain's lighthouses saved countless ships from breaking up on unkind shores and lit the way for weary travellers returning home and would have signalled the ends of long voyages on turbulent seas. At the end of the day, it's important to remember despite the strange circumstances and intriguing mystery, that at the heart of this dark and stormy tale is the loss of three men whose bodies have never been recovered. The true horror is that these families were left with only empty coffins to bury and no closure to help them sleep at night. Beneath the aliens and the giant waves exist deeper fears, ones that speak to our need for community and safety of having someone there to call when things go wrong, of not knowing what happened in the face of terrible tragedy, and, in turn, 
not knowing how to stop it from happening again. We can hop on Google Earth and view every inch of the planet, from street level if we prefer, with our bird's eye view, satellite, CCTV, social media, it's unnerving to think that anyone could disappear so completely, but it seems, for the mystery of Eileen Moore, the only way we might ever know the truth is if we were able to travel back in time and see it happen for ourselves. Speaking of time travel, at the end of the horror of Fang Rock, the Doctor quotes a poem by William Wilfred Gibson. Flannan Isle was written to immortalise the unfortunate end of Duckett, MacArthur and Marshall. The poem is written from the point of view of sailors on the relief boat Hesperus that originally found the island abandoned. It's fair to say that even now, the happenings on St. Flannan's Isles 120 years ago are still as shrouded in sea fog as they ever were. Though three men dwell on Flannan Isle to keep the lamp alight, as we steered under the lee we caught no glimmer through the night. A passing ship at dawn had brought the news and quickly we set sail to find out what strange thing might ail the keepers of the deep sea light. Hello! Hello, I'm here on FaceTime again. Woo, got that crystal ball working. If Hello. you have seen... <laughs> If you've seen the amazing fan art that was done of us this week, then you'll you'll understand that on like, I want to say a spiritual level, because it was so good, like just fantastic. It um, was absolutely amazing. It's done by Andrew Taylor, um, whose Instagram name is Three Dollar Hands. Uh, we chatted beforehand. He's a very very lovely guy. He'd um, compliment the podcast, which is lovely. And sort of made an offhand comment that he sort of wanted to doodle some stuff, and I was like, okay, cool, thinking to do it. <laughs> and then I was visiting Jasper at work and uh, doing some writing for this podcast, um, and just randomly he sent over this fucking incredible illustration. And even though Jasper was working, and it looked like having a meeting with a colleague, but right <laughs> I was like, oh, it was fine. We were just like catching up, so you know. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Truly, it's it's so cool, and like, if I'm even like, you know, like an inch as cool as I look in that illustration, then I can like die happy, and I want, nay, need a tweed suit, three-piece suit with like a matching bow tie now, and I may have to bleach the top of my hair again just to keep that look up. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I mean, we can't spend Halloween together this year, which is just the cruelest thing. Um, yeah. But I think for next year, we should get you with that. And obviously, I have to be Madame Leota. Uh huh. But because we are low budget queens, I think what would be really good is. Thrifty queens! The, ter the term is thrifty queens. Thrift queens, sorry. <laughs> I'm still very sweet. Um, I, don't, I don't know the lingo. Um, 
some really rad makeup on me because if you don't know Jasper's an amazing makeup artist Aww. and then I'll just buy a fishbowl and put it on my head <laughs> <laughs> and then you have to worry about shit <laughs> we'll go Ikea we'll get you a fishbowl like just like a bit of plastic one so it's not too heavy yeah, I tell you what, that is a promise. As long as like society has not folded and we have turned to cannibalism this time next year, um, we will do a recreation of that piece of fan art. <laughs> I mean, I did say back in the Queensbury episode that cannibalism was the next big thing in 2020. So you did. I, I feel like all all signs. Maybe 2021. I feel like you're like, you know, next season, it's gonna be the fashion. Um, I mean, they don't call me Mystic Meg for nothing. Or Madame Leota. It's so cold. <laughs> it really is. It really is. And there might be something else in the pipeline. Maybe. I don't want to push it. But maybe. Alex, stop showing me up. I'm, I'm an illustrator too. <laughs> no, that's You are a gem. Yeah, it, it's really beautiful. Um... We've we've done a feature post about it on the Instagram, so if you if you're actually following us, you would have seen it already. And if you're not following us, then like, who are you and what are you doing? And sort your life out right now. <laughs> Regardless of the fact that that's what we need to do too. Um, but yeah, we should probably chat a little bit about this week's episode and. Uh, my personal favourite theory of which I could find basically no writing about is the idea that they were turned into giant seabirds and they then flew away um, I have no idea where that theory comes from it is uh, obviously unfounded but it's out there on the internet like basically everything is I just yeah there are so many weird ideas that I'm like, you know what, why not? Because it wasn't aliens. Because, sorry guys, but it's never aliens. I'm saying that now. It is <laughs> never, ever aliens. <laughs> See, from reading through the script that you wrote and everything that we were doing, like, I got spo- like Scooby-Doo vibes. Oh, yeah. Like, it's some old guy that lives on the island and you rip his face off, literally. Yeah. And... Yeah, he's mm-hmm. he's a ghoulie, or he's one of the keepers, or I don't know. I mean, yeah, it does literally sound like something straight out of Scooby-Doo, which is probably why I was attracted to talking about it, because Scooby-Doo is life. <laughs> uh, I think you'll find Shrek is love. <laughs> no, 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 Shrek is love. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we are trash. Oh, we are trash humans um but yeah it's it's a really interesting mystery just because there is absolutely absolutely nothing to say what really happened to them because i mean obviously the general consensus is that they went down to the western landing during a big storm for some reason um and but you kind of think like you know if if the storm is that bad that you're like cowering and praying and and, and crying then if the storm's gonna go off with like any like 
anything that's stored on the western land. Like, just, just let it have it. You know, at that point, just, just, just breathe in, do some meditation, and just let it go. <laughs> like, yeah, put your like Elsa crown on and just let it go. Because it's not coming back. Let's be real. You're like on an island in the middle of friggin' nowhere. And it's just, it's not gonna happen. The, um, the... I, I, I really want to watch the Doctor Who episode. Because, like... It sounds terrible. Yeah, but, like... <laughs> it's so much weirder than even the bit that we just talked about. Oh, yeah. Like, there's... Like, everyone dies. There's, like... Like, body impersonation. Another ship rocks up with with, with with people that, like, get off and, like, come and, like, join the whole thing. And it's... Really, really strange. Basically. <laughs> I mean, I was thinking as well, maybe... There wasn't this huge storm. That was just a cover-up. And the... Um... What's the ship called in uh, Pirates of the Caribbean? The, the Black ship. Pearl. Yeah, that one. <laughs> I, didn't wanna, I didn't wanna say the P word. We know my accent. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that ship. Maybe they all joined that one. I mean, maybe. I, I mean, there are some people who believe that a ship rocked up and they, like, went to join them. But, A, why on earth would they just sort of go quietly? B, there's nothing on the island of interest to take. Um, and, like, this, that, like, C, there was also no evidence of any ship having docked. Like, also, if you're in the middle of a huge storm, like, the, you, you, you would have been, like, ground up and, like, spat out if you tried to get anywhere near Eileen Moore or any of the Flannan Isles in a storm like bitch you dead like it's just not gonna <laughs> it's just not gonna happen mysterious very yeah although if, if you are interested in finding out a little bit more um the website for the northern lighthouse board um have uh some information on it including like the official telegrams that were sent by um like joseph moore and captain harvey and all the stuff that like they had to say about it as well um the thing about th this story in particular as well is that it was it, it got more disappointing the more that you read like you know like it's it, it's never going to get worse than the fact that these these three poor men, you know, disappeared off the face of the earth and their families don't know what happened and no one knows what happened to them. Um, but in the wake of that, that, there was all this, like, you know, sort of mythology that sprung up around it. Like, the, the idea that, um, that, that, that a meal had been left half-eaten out on the table, which ironically was also a fact that was made up about the Mary Celeste as well to sort of in encourage the strangeness and supposed abruptness of the disappearance 
but and and, and also the the idea that within the lighthouse on Eileen Moore there was like a, a chair overturned and and in the poem that we quote at the end um Gibson actually references that as well but most of that was made up by uh false newspaper reports written at the time um so fake news is not new um they were just trying to spice it up a little bit which considering the guys they're dead like even if they weren't dead then they're, they're dead now I, I mean even if they you know joined the black pearl like they're undead but they're, they're still dead um so yeah it just seems a little bit i don't know it doesn't need to be more sensationalized but then again i, I guess if you're trying to sell newspapers everything has to be <laughs> sensationalized more and more yeah, I do think somewhere on the island is probably their bodies. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if, like, I don't know, maybe they got, like, trapped underneath. Because if, if it's, like, I know that one side of it's completely sheer, but I wonder if, because it is really, like, craggy, I don't know, maybe that's the reason the body's never washed up. But then also in, in cases like the Titanic... One of the reasons they never found loads of the bodies and, and why they still haven't found them is because of an air current that runs all the way underneath through the like down to the seabed and so loads of the yeah. bodies in the titanic just shifted out into you know other parts of the ocean so th there's just so many reasons as to why we'll, we'll never know and that just makes me want to know <laughs> even more even though it's not going to be anything spectacular and it's not going to yeah. be gerard butler and like a, a treasure chest it's it's a ridiculous theory but the, the trailer actually looks pretty decent <laughs> i did watch the trailer and i was like this looks spooky it has like five stars on imdb or something and i'm like look tense it's nice to hear Gerard talking in his real voice. <laughs> I suppose that's true. Although it, it does really annoy me that they randomly changed the names yeah. for for like the because like the castle and, uh, yeah, and I I feel like they could also have just used different names. You know, I feel like when you're basing something off a real life tragedy. And you're not creating basically like a fictional documentary or an actual documentary about it. Why not just go the whole hog and change the names? Because you know you're not telling what happened. Like it, it's fine for it just to be a story inspired by. Yeah. Well, the first thing that the trailer says is like based on a true story. <laughs> it's like, we literally have no fucking idea what happened. So yesterday was a lighthouse and some men disappeared. Yeah. And that's all we know. Like, don't pretend that you know that they definitely there was gold and yeah. violence because we don't know that. And I I remember coming across this story like maybe a couple years ago, and I it might have been a podcast, and if it was, I can't remember for the life of me what it was. But the the story that they ran with was the idea that one of them went you know murderous and 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 killed the other two. And there, there's, there's nothing to support that. But like from having listened to that podcast and because they didn't make it clear that it was basically a work of fiction, 
you know, it, it just gets like sequestered into public sort of, you know, consciousness and is, is, is dangerous. Because if it can happen with something like that, it can happen with anything. And then you have to question everything that you think, you know, and then you have an existential crisis and you cry for a while and you make a cup of tea and you have a hug and you calm down and then it happens all over again. That's just life. Yeah, that's what my life has become from researching all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, absolutely. I've definitely heard this story many a time with one of them becoming murderous and I've heard other stories, whether it's a different story entirely, but a story where there's only two people in the lighthouse and one kills the other. Uh, or one dies and then the other one thinks that they're going to be uh, blamed. Yeah, it, the trouble with news in general throughout history is that a lot of people embellish because they think they need to, and it becomes something. It's like Sweeney Todd, you know, I, I <laughs> said something about my childhood, but at the age of seven, I read about Sweeney Todd in Horrible Histories, became obsessed with Sweeney Todd, and it's <laughs> all I thought about for like a good year, and that explains so much about my psyche. Mm-hmm. Um, but like everyone just thinks Sweeney Todd was real. He wasn't. He was made up for the was it, Penny Dreadful, which mm. was the bad news newspaper in London. Um, and, you know, Barbers probably went out of business because of it. And it's it's incredible and terrifying how it affects every aspect of life. Yeah, and I, I think because this kind of theme keeps coming up time and time again, we've, we've been discussing doing a month of basically... We might have talked about this on the last episode, I can't remember, but doing a month of myth-busting, basically. Especially because, like, it just feels like now, more than ever, we need to be really checking our facts before we you know go go making statements or you know whatever it is whether like i mean the one that i always go on about is and you know meg's heard it a million times before but it's to do with the idea of um transgender women committing violence against cisgendered women in bathrooms and of it suddenly not me, you know, becoming a, a safe that isn't space. A safe that isn't space. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> a space that is not safe for um, cisgendered women. And number one, it's not true. There's, there's no proof of this um, ever happening. Number two, leave trans people alone. Like, they, they just want to live their lives. Number three, when you look at the proportion of violence carried out against trans women, they're really... They're not the perpetuators here. Like, in terms of transness and violence and that, you know, general unfortunate bubble. And also, most violence is carried out um, male on male, mostly cisgendered within... Um, male segregated bathrooms so you know that's something that we all need to be aware of essentially yeah and whatever is in someone else's pants is absolutely nothing to do with you unless they're letting you in their pants that's like the only time (laughs) yeah pretty much my favourite thing ever and I never remember the direct quote but was uh, we saw Nish Kumar a while ago (laughs) 
Oh wait, he's so and he talks so fast. Yeah. You feel like you got whiplash after you like watch him. It's like, oh. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, if you're a sexual predator, you don't, like, see a sign that is the opposite gender to you and then are like, oh, I can't go in there. I must not do my sex crimes today. That's not how it fucking works. Yeah. If someone's going to commit a sex crime, and God forbid they do, things like that aren't going to fucking stop them. No. So your bigotry is not only bigotry, but it's stupid. Also, stupid. look at the statistic of, um, you know sexual harassment or violence that happens in terms of people that you know versus strangers and unfortunately it's it's skewed massively towards people that you know which is i i don't know that that's that's kind of scarier to me that like people are being abused by people that they should trust and therefore you know it's great to teach people stranger danger but also now you know you have to teach people well be wary around the people that you that you know and that you love as well kind of i i don't know to me that's that's scarier and uh, yeah the the idea of, of being in a relationship or having to be around someone who you know is is abusive in that way is just the absolute worst thing which came has, has come up a lot this year of course because of lockdown and one good thing is that there's been a huge awareness boost towards domestic violence because if you're a domestic violence victim, like, where do you go when you're all trapped in your house together? Yeah. I saw a fantastic um, sign in, I think it was Boots, it was definitely a pharmacy. Uh, I travel a lot for work, so I walk up and down. That sounds weird. I walk up and down a lot. <laughs> That's all <laughs> she does. That's it. <laughs>
but yeah, so we're thinking of doing a month looking at, you know, sort of, I don't know, things that we believe to be true that may not be true and we may go on some journeys in the course of that. <laughs> some personal journeys. <laughs> Who knows? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, free therapy. We all need it. We do, it's true. But we, we hope you've really enjoyed uh, listening to this week's episode and our subsequent prattling. Um, it's been fun. <laughs> and we will be back uh, this Saturday as well. We have an extra podcast coming at your ears. Um, at your ears, not out your ears. I hope not. You should get that checked out if it is. Um... Yeah, the pharmacist is going to help with that too. <laughs> I don't know if they'll have a sign in the window for that, but... No, but, you know, it's just it's good to know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that, so that's going to be made up of a few different ghost stories that we're going to look into, because, like, bitch, it's Halloween. If, if you don't get that, like, you're in the wrong place. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, so um, come back and find us on Halloween and listen to our dulcet tones as we hopefully scare you a wee bit. <laughs> yeah, and hopefully it will make it uh, less or even more spooky that I'm having to record under my duvet. <laughs> it gets hot in there. <laughs> Just think about that. <laughs> I feel like that that's the next fan art that needs to be done. Just recording. <laughs> it's like, you know that scene in, um, oh, which one? I think it's Prisoner of Azkaban, right at the start, where Harry's like reading books under his duvet, <laughs> just casually doing magic outside of Hogwarts underage, which is just not allowed, but you know, we just do it for the lols and the film, <laughs> the film effects. But uh, yeah, that's, that's basically what I look like, but with the laptop screen like glaring at my face and my double chin. So. Sounds stunning. If you're an illustrator and that image of beauty has inspired you, then please uh, draw us something and send it in because we will show it off to our followers and also love you endlessly if that's something that... If our everlasting love is something which matters to you. (laughs) If it's not, just go away. Yeah. Why are you here? We don't need you. Anyway, that's us for this week. Yes, please, please, please. We've been plugging this and we know, we know you're out there and we know you're enjoying it because we can see, we we can, we can see you. No, we can't, but we we can see how many people are listening. Um, We know there's more than five people and and five people so far have rated us on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, Meg can see you because she's Mystic Meg. I'm regular, so I can't. Um, But yeah, that sounds right. I'm incredibly cynical. Uh, but yeah, please, please do, um, even if you don't want to write a review, even if that kind of thing makes you nervous, because that makes me, like, get anxious hiccups. But, like, <laughs> just, just you know, leave us a cheeky five-star rating, because that will help other people to find us as well. And if you don't want to do that, you can always just share it with your friends. 
Mm, mm-hmm. Post it on your Insta or on your Facebook. Stand out in the street and have yeah. That would be rad. But yeah, uh, even if you've only got a handful of followers on Instagram, like if you pop us in your story, like it really does make a difference to us. So, you know, and tag us as well because if you oh, don't tag us, we can't see it. And yeah. We'd love to see it. Yeah, tag us and we get a bit giddy. Yeah. We do. If you want to exactly. make our day, then that is absolutely that is absolutely how to uh, make a Meg or a Jasper uh, cry happy tears. <laughs> Yep. But now we no longer live together, we still send fucking everything. So if, if mm-hmm. any of you tag us, and obviously we, we both have access to the November's going to be spiritualism. Um, obviously, for December, we'll be diving into you know lots of strange and and, and twisted. I want to talk about the Krampus. Yes, that's what I was going to say. We're going to be looking up some strange and twisted uh, Christmas myths and legends and tales and all of that fun stuff um, for you. So stick around for that. We will be back on Saturday. Peace out. See ya. Wandering Eye Curios is brought to you by myself, Jasper Chanter, and my co-host, Meg James. The podcast is scripted and performed by both of us and produced by me. Music is scored and performed by Amy Marianne, with lyrics by myself. Our intro song, For Better or Worse, is sung by us. Find us on Instagram at Wandering Eye Curios and over on Twitter at Wondering iPod. Stay spooky, friends. Until next time.